All right, so I want to start with two questions. You can put those first two questions right up on the screen for us. What is the single greatest issue of our time? I want you to think about it. What, is, what, what do you suppose is the single greatest issue of our time? And the second question is like the first, what's the most important issue facing you today, right now? I want you to think about that. I'm going to uh, pose a, a number of uh, different uh, possibilities this morning and uh, like for your uh, consideration of them. Some, some people believe that Safety is uh, probably the number one issue. I mean, after all, if we're not safe, you know, then what, 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 what's it all for, you know? Uh, we happen to live in a very uh, dangerous world. Uh, our proximity to New York City means that uh, we are uh, so close to what is, what is the favorite target of those that want to destroy us. And so safety has got to be a, a, a real big issue in many people's lives. Keeping the next uh, terrorist attack from happening is uh, a great importance. I don't know if you know this, but about a month ago, uh, or a little bit before Christmas, uh, there was a news item in the media, uh, a truck that was, was parked at a gas station outside of Mexico City uh, was taken, was stolen. Now, the reason why it even made the news was because it was carrying radioactive material the kind of material that could be used to make a dirty bomb. Can anybody say weapon of mass destruction? That truck was found probably within about a week's period of time, but some of the material was missing. Why and who remains a mystery. It's, it's out there somewhere. Uh, some folks are are looking to the Middle East, especially over the last number of months. Uh, some of the nations like Syria and uh, Egypt and, and all of the hostility that's, that's brewing there seems to be accelerating to the point where, I mean, it's, it's a great concern. It's a great concern on, on, on our world peace. And uh, the resurgence of Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and, and in Iraq is a concern to many. Uh, the ever-growing closer to a nuclear capability of Iran is a concern for many, many people. Uh, there's a cable TV show that asks the question, are, are you scared yet? I mean, that, that's a legitimate question facing some of the things, are we scared yet? This is a scary world in which we live. Some say that maybe uh, one of the greatest issues facing us in this day is the $17 trillion of debt that's out of control, that is, that is ever exponentially increasing, and, and a government that seems to be absolutely powerless to stop it or, or do anything from driving the bus over the cliff. You know, we, we're, we're, we're talking about if, if America loses its status as the go-to currency for the world, what will that mean but hyperinflation? And what is, what is hyperinflation? I, I remember seeing pictures of Germany after World War II where, where barrelfuls, bushelfuls of paper money could not buy a loaf of bread. So is, 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 is this one of the greatest concerns of our day? Some feel that maybe the, one of the single greatest issues of our day is the fact that America is no longer what it once was. There's, there's a loss of, of 
influence or, or of American exceptionalism in the world today. The unemployment rate, uh, I heard this, this number just yesterday, 91 million people have stopped looking for work. They're no longer a part of, 91 million people are no longer a part of the workforce. The, the numbers about unemployment are well, way over, the real numbers are probably well over 20%. And, and, and much of them falls within the range group of the 20-something year olds. Uh, this last week was uh, the anniversary, the 50th year of the war on poverty. LBJ's war on poverty. So let me ask you, LBJ, how are you doing with that? 47 million people are now on food stamps. 47 million people. This, th- 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 these are obviously great concerns to a lot of people. Others may feel that the, the, the issue, the number one issue facing us today is the moral decline of society, the, the redefining of the traditional family. The legalization of marijuana that seems to be spreading from state to state to state. Now, now I've got to tell you something. As, as a person who was once, before my conversion, physically and, and psychologically addicted to marijuana, th- this is a great concern of mine. I mean, back in, back in, they say that today's marijuana is, four, is 10 to 40 times more potent than it was back in the 60s when I, when I smoked marijuana. And, and let me tell you, I know how much it messed up my life. So I, I'm greatly concerned about upcoming generations. Maybe you're here this morning and, and maybe it's more, more, something more personal. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a health issue that, that, that seems to be facing you. And you know what? There's a saying that goes, if, if you have your health, you can face just about anything. But, but if the reverse is also true, if, if you... If you have a health issue for yourself or for, your, for a loved one, you know, what could you do? Now, I, I just want to share something with you that probably will not come as a shock or a surprise to anybody, but, but I got to tell you that we're all suffering from a terminal health issue. It's called dying. We're all going to die. Uh, hopefully, it won't be for many, many years from now for, for all of us, but we're all going to die. It's appointed unto man, the Bible says, once to die, and then the judgment. It was uh, Ben Franklin who wrote this to a Frenchman in 1789. This is where this saying comes from. Our new constitution, he says, is now established and has the appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. And with the inevitability, with the certainty that death will happen eventually to every single one of us, maybe, maybe just the, the most important question or issue that faces us is not any of the things that I've mentioned already, but rather things that deal with eternity. M- maybe eternal matters matter most. And as a result of that, Maybe they're some of the most important issues that face us. Listen, everything I've mentioned from an unstable economy to an unsafe homeland, none of those things really matter in light of eternity. And so I want to share with you this morning one of the great titles of Jesus found in the New Testament. In fact, there are several variations of this, but but in all of them, there's one word that is similar, and that is the word firstborn that Jesus is given the title of 
the firstborn over creation, the firstborn among the dead, the firstborn of many brethren. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that we as believers have come to the church called the church of the firstborn. And so, so I want to talk to you about this title, the firstborn. It is a title of distinction and a title of honor. It's a title of, of great, uh, great prestige for the person who bears it. The firstborn received in the culture back in the day, he received a double portion of his father's inheritance. The firstborn also was given the privilege or the right to become the spiritual head of his family at the appointed time. And yet there are groups of people, we, we would call them cults, who, 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 who use the name of Jesus, who, who have some sort of beliefism in Jesus, but who deny the deity of Jesus. And they use this idea of the firstborn as being the first of creation. And that is to completely miss the point of what the apostle is going to be, be re, what we'll be reading in just a few minutes. But, but to make an error on, on the character and the person of Jesus Christ is a fatal flaw from which there is no recovery. It is, it is the most important issue. It is the definition of what salvation is all about in John 17, 3. This is eternal life to know the one true God in Jesus Christ whom God has said. What you believe about Jesus, his identity matters eternally. So let me, let me share a quote that deals with the value of Jesus uh, by uh, Augustine. You may have heard of him. And uh, it is a simple statement, yet it is absolutely profound. He says this, Christ is not valued at all unless... He is valued above all. Jesus is not valued at all unless Jesus is valued above all. Another way of saying that is that Jesus is not treasured at all unless he is treasured above all. He's not the Lord of all unless he is the Lord of everything. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the importance of valuing Jesus for who he is and giving him that proper place. We, so many of the songs that we sang this morning talking about lifting him high, giving him that, that proper place in our life so that in all things, Jesus might have the supremacy, that he might have the preeminence in our life and in our heart. The fact of the matter is, is that Jesus is the sovereign Lord of the universe, of time and space. Whether I believe it or confess it or not, that, that is not going to change the fact that Jesus Christ is, is uniquely incomparable, that Jesus Christ is absolutely supreme and has the preeminence. I want us to look this morning at something the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, the, the Colossian believers. Paul wrote to show the superiority of Jesus Christ over everything over all human philosophies and over all human personalities and traditions and accomplishments. And he wrote this so that believers would come to know and understand what they already possess in Christ as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. That all of our freedom, security, acceptance, our approval and our validation comes from Jesus Christ and who he is in our relationship to him and in his success, not in our personal success, but that in what Jesus Christ has accomplished 
for us. This, understanding this, sets us free to live a life that is radically submitted to Jesus Christ as the preeminent one in our life. And so Paul's goal is to help us see the infinite superiority, the supremacy of Christ and his beauty in his person and to resist the seduction that comes by to making Jesus anything less than absolutely preeminent in our lives. In fact, this is what happened. This is the fatal flaw that, that took place in the church at Laodicea and in the church at Ephesus. In Revelation 2 and in Revelation 3, to one church that had become lukewarm, to the other church they had forsaken their first love, the root cause of that was they failed to make Jesus the supreme or the, to give him the place of, of preeminence in their lives. So let's look at Colossians chapter 1 together. And beginning in verse 13, great portion of scripture for us this morning. Pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate our hearts this morning. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. God has rescued us and brought us One translation is that he has translated us into the kingdom of the son of his love. The word translation there or has brought us is literally the idea that God has picked us up, taken us out of the domain or the realm of darkness, and he has has apprehended us or he has arrested us, pulling us like brands out of the fire, and then he has placed us safely in the kingdom of the son whom he loves. In whom, in him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Meaning that we're no longer our own, that we've been bought with a price, that we belong to him, that that we've not been bought with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb of God without spot or wrinkle or blemish, the forgiveness of sins. Let Let me tell you something. 40 something years ago, one of the one of the things that I began to rejoice in the most is the realization that my sins had been wiped out, that Jesus took the record of my wrongs out of the way by having nailed them to the cross. To have a conscience that has been cleansed and purged because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, this is priceless. Verse 15 says, he is the image of the invisible God. And here's the first title. There's two in this portion of scripture. The firstborn over all creation. He is, he is, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We've seen that word image before. You might remember that on on occasion, when some of the enemies of Jesus sought to entrap him, they they, they thought they were really smart. You know, they, they, they came up with a, with a, a question, a riddle that, that, that kind of put him between a rock and a hard place because no matter what he answered to this question, they, will, they would have ammunition to accuse him. And so they said, Rabbi, is it lawful for us as Jews to pay tribute to Caesar, to pay taxes to Caesar? And so Jesus said to them, why do you tempt me? Bring me a coin. And so they brought him a coin and he held it up for them and He said, now whose inscription or whose image is this? And they said, Caesar's. And with wisdom, he 
diffuse the situation. And he said, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. And they were, they were dumbfounded. They were speechless. They could not accuse him. They went away at that moment, having been demonstrated or having seen the wisdom of God at work. But Jesus is the image, the same word that is used here, the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, if you've seen me, Jesus said you've seen the Father in character and in nature. Jesus is the very expression, the exact representation of God. The firstborn over all creation. Notice, it's not the firstborn of creation. It's the firstborn over creation. For some reason, those that have denied the deity of Jesus has taken this verse as the firstborn over creation and have twisted it to mean that Jesus must have been, therefore, the first person created. But that's not what it says. And the context in which it's found cannot mean that because it's clearly pointing to Jesus as the creator of all things as we'll see. And as I continue to read verse 16, for by him, all things were created, things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers of authority, all things were created by him and for him. And now here's, here's a quality that only deity can fulfill He is before all things. Only God can be before creation. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together or cohere. Jesus is the one as creator who holds it all together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. And we'll break that down in just a minute. So that in everything he may have the supremacy, I prefer the word preeminence. That in everything, Jesus Christ might have the preeminence in our lives over creation, over the universe, over time, over space, over all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. That last sentence, that last sentence that Jesus has made peace through the blood of the cross melts our hearts, melts the stony heart. When we see the sacrifice of Jesus, that it was at the expense of suffering, incredible tears he sweat in the Garden of Gethsemane, and at the cross, the stripes, the bleeding, the the, the physical suffering, no, no, the emotional anguish that Jesus endured for us tantamounts to what, what a sinner would experience in hell for eternity. Jesus Christ endured. That breaks and melts the stony heart. Paul gives to Jesus the title of firstborn. And again, it is a declaration of the highest distinguishing honor and privilege and rights belonging to Jesus as the heir of all things. Hebrews 1, 3 says that, that he's been given the heir of all things, 
because of his relationship to God as son, but also because he has won the right to be the heir of all things by that which he suffered and that which he had sacrificed. It is one of the titles of the Messiah. In Psalm 89, verse 27, it says, I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted king of all the earth. That's why Jesus is given the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The nation Israel was called the firstborn. My firstborn, let my firstborn go. They were not the firstborn of nations in terms of time or or, or the first ones to be on the scene, but they are first in, the, in, in terms of being the favored nation of God that God chose to use and to bring forth the Messiah in. And so Jesus occupies the highest place of honor in the universe. But here's the question that I've got to ask you. Does Jesus occupy the highest place of honor in your life? More important than all the other Questions that I asked before, is Jesus valued above all? The way Augustine said, is he valued above everything else in your life? Is Jesus your treasured possession? Is he the single most important issue in your life? I I think that this is the most important issue facing us because, because it has eternal ramifications, because it affects us eternally. He has the right as Lord and as God, to, to make demands upon us. You know, we, we read in the Gospels in, in, in uh, Luke 6, verse 46, he said, why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? He has the right to make demands upon us. There was a man who came to Jesus and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, really? You know, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Will, will, you, will you really be devoted to me? Another man said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and put my father's affairs in order. And Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and preach the gospel. Does he have the right to make those demands on us? Yes, absolutely. Another man said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and bid them farewell. Let me say goodbye to my family. And Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow, looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He has the right to make demands upon us as Lord and God. But let me tell you what I've learned after 40 years of serving Jesus. I've learned that Jesus is not a sovereign tyrant who demands our obedience. Rather, Jesus is a lover who inspires our passionate submission and our passionate surrender. He wins our hearts by grace and mercy. That we didn't deserve mercy. We didn't deserve grace. We didn't deserve his favor or his kindness. But I've discovered something over the last 40 years that his loving kindness never ends. That his Faithfulness is new every single morning and great is his mercy. And that he lavishes upon us as a means of motivating us to follow him, to serve him out of love, not out of sheer duty. Out of sheer duty, the Israelites failed miserably, but he seeks to win our love and to win the submission of our hearts. I tell you what, we can see this in the conversion of people like Peter or people like, like the Apostle Paul. You know, this, this guy named Saul of Tarsus who had letters in his hands of authority 
en route to arrest believers in the city of Damascus, to imprison them, to put them to death, to compel them to blaspheme. He is arrested by Jesus in the same way that we were arrested, where, where we were translated out of the kingdom of God. So, so God stopped him on that road and apprehended this guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Stopped him in that moment. In that moment, his life as a prosecutor was over, blinded now. He needed somebody to lead him by the hand. Case closed. He's no longer a problem to the church. He will no longer persecute anybody. But instead, God sends a disciple to lay his hands on on Saul, saying, Brother Saul, receive your sight. Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, wants something from you and wants something for you. What motivated Paul from that point to the rest of his entire life to be able to endure persecutions and perils and hardship and all kinds of difficulty and imprisonments, all of that, what motivated Paul was that unmerited grace and mercy that was lavished upon Paul, that Paul became the object of love. He became the object of the infinite love that Jesus lavished upon him. And you know, Paul knew that personally. Let me ask you a question. Do you know that you are personally loved by Jesus? Do you know that he has set his love and affection upon you in a personal way? Listen to how Paul put it in Galatians chapter two. He says, I've been crucified that is put to death with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and the life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. And here it is, who loved me, who loved me, who loved me and gave himself for me. When you come to the place in your life where you are unshakable in the knowledge of the love of God. You know, Paul is not known as the apostle of love. John is is, is more termed the apostle of love. But Paul wrote more about love than even John did. He said, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That God who has so loved us, quickened us, and made us alive in Christ when we were dead in trespasses and in sins. We didn't deserve heaven, but we are on our way to heaven because of the infinite mercy of God. Listen to how Paul puts it to the Corinthians. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one, Jesus, died for all, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. See, Jesus didn't die for me so that I can now live the rest of my life in comfort and in ease for myself. He died for me so that I might no longer live for myself. You know, let me tell you something. The greatest deliverance that we can have, apart from the deliverance out of the domain of darkness, is the deliverance from selfishness. The reason why the Laodiceans became lukewarm and the reason why the Ephesians left their first love, they didn't lose it, they forsook their first love was their failure to make Jesus preeminent in their life. That's the greatest question that I have to ask you this morning. Jesus, Paul says, is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead. What, What does that mean, the firstborn? He he is the founder of a new species, of a new race of men and women who've been born from above, in whom the second death has no power. 
And because he has abolished death and ushered in life and immortality, he is the firstborn from the dead in that sense. Again, privilege and honor and prestige given to him in that title. And the reason and the goal of all this is that in all things, Jesus might have the preeminence, that, that we might now look at him and savor him and, and favor him and, 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 and that we might consider him as exalted and cherished above everything else. So let me ask you a few more questions since I'm asking a lot of questions today. To what extent does your life reflect the preeminence of Christ? To what extent does your life reflect the preeminence of Christ? This, I believe, is the most important issue that you face. Are the affairs of your daily existence so ordered that Jesus is seen as being preeminent? Is there any doubt to the way in which you use your time, your talent, your money, that Jesus is the source and the center of your existence? Is Jesus your treasure? Or is your treasure in something or someone else? Is it somewhere else? Is it on the street where you live? Is is it parked in the driveway? Is it in your bank account? Is that where your treasure is? For where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. Does this govern your life in such a way that people could look at you and say, Jesus is Lord of his life? Can they say that about you and can they say that about me? Can they say that she places Jesus above everything else in her life? He's not the number one priority. He has taken the place of absolute preeminence. So let me ask you these questions. How visible is the supremacy of Christ in the way that you talk to people, in the way that you treat your family, in the way that you work on your job. How is Jesus viewed in your life? Is he supreme? Is, does he have the preeminence in your life? May I just suggest to you this morning to resist the temptation to restrict the preeminence of Jesus to a one day a week, one hour a week between 11 and 12 or between seven and eight on Sunday. Resist the temptation to isolate the preeminence of Jesus confined only to spiritual matters because in reality, Jesus Christ has the preeminence over everything in our life. I'll close with this. A young mother was taking a class in photography. And uh, as her assignment, she chose her six-year-old daughter as her subject. And she sat her daughter on a beautiful hillside, beautiful scenery. Close by was an apple tree in full bloom. She couldn't resist. She gave the tree a prominent place in the picture along with her daughter. And she was so surprised when the instructor pointed out the flaws in the photo. The apple tree distracted from the primary focus, her child. He says, see how it catches the eye. The instructor says, it completely distracts you from the subject. You need to choose one subject and leave the other out. Didn't Jesus say, you can't serve two masters. You'll either love the one and despise the other.
And the observation applies to much more than good photography. As followers of Jesus, we've got to center our focus and our attention on Christ and on him alone above everything and everyone else. Like amateur photographers, it's easy for us to get distracted by the apple trees that are in full bloom, the stuff that's all around us. We sometimes pay more time, more attention, more energy to the things that we've been blessed with rather than the one who has blessed us with them. So what I want you to leave with this morning is the knowledge. I said it a little while ago, that Jesus is not a sovereign who demands our obedience, but rather Jesus is a lover who inspires passionate surrender. May you come to know him. May I come to know him more so that the songs that we sang this morning have a greater meaning that that he is lifted high, that he holds the center place in our life and that to Jesus is given the preeminence because as the firstborn of all creation, over all creation, as the firstborn among the dead, Jesus deserves the highest place of honor and preeminence in my life and in your life. Let's all pray today. Father, I just thank you this morning that the challenge that you've given to me to make you center and foremost and preeminent is a challenge that I know that you're speaking to all of us. Because when it comes down to it, there's nothing more important than this. None of the issues of safety or comfort or wealth or none of the issues of economy, or none of those things have any eternal ramifications except this one issue. Have I made Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Has he received the place of preeminence? And Lord, we purposely, willfully place you at the highest place. May you be blessed, Jesus, to be the all-satisfying and all-sufficient Lord of our life, that all of our needs are met in you, that every, everything that I possibly could long for or desire or dream of or hope for is found in you.